Hi, this is Reg Harbeck, and today I'm here with my friend and colleague, Charles Mills, who has uh, written all kinds of applications, both on the mainframe and talking to the mainframe, and just been really involved in the whole journey of the mainframe. Uh, well, before telling you all that about myself, Charles, why don't you introduce yourself to us and tell us about uh, how did you end up on the mainframe? Tell us about your journey. Thank you, Reg. Uh, the, the journey starts, believe it or not, in 10th grade. I had this kind of freewheeling talk about anything geometry teacher named George Belfati. And one of the things he used to talk about, this was about 1960 or so, about programmers and the big bucks they made. Mm. I had no idea what programmers did, but it kind of planted a seed. So anyway, I go on from there. I go to college. At that point, at least the college I went to didn't have any computer science or anything like that. I was a chemistry major. I actually dropped out. Uh, dropping out, I got drafted. I got out of the army in New York City, 1967. The System 360 had been announced three years before, mm -hmm. and that had really caused an explosion of interest in companies and owning a computer. Uh, company presidents, they didn't say CEO, then presidents, I think, thought, if you ain't got a computer, you ain't a real company. So there's a lot of interest in, in computers. I fell in with two computer programmers from, uh, or on work study from Oberlin College out in Ohio. She worked at Horn and Hardart, the Automat people, if I recall correctly. And he worked at a little boutique contract programming firm, a real exotic stuff. They were writing PL1 on a 360-65 for the, 22, the IBM 2250 graphics terminal, which was a beast of its own. This was very, very state-of-the-art stuff, which is another way of saying it never exactly worked. <laughs> um, but, but I would bug them, teach me to program, teach me to program, teach me to program. And I think uh, maybe having a little fun with me, uh, they gave me an IBM Fortran 2 manual, Fortran 2 language reference, and said, well, just read this and you'll know how to program. Well, son of a gun, I came back, I don't know, two days later with a Fortran program <laughs> and about two compiles and two tests and the thing ran. Nice. And uh, so they were kind of impressed. I was really hooked. I, I wanted to be a programmer. I, I applied for a job with that boutique uh, programming firm but I wasn't you know, hip enough for them. I didn't have a computer science degree and stuff. So they said no. So I spent a year in New York City hunting for a job. I had no experience, no credentials. I probably had poor job hunting skills. But I was finally hired by a, what is basically a predecessor to Kraft Foods hmm. as a DOS 360, which is what became VSE, mm -hmm. a DOS 360 CISPRO trainee. I worked for a guy I really liked and I learned a lot. And then he quit after three months. So there I was in the deep end of the pool all by myself. And that's when I really learned a lot. Mm. So that's where I really learned assembler and so forth. Meanwhile, my two programmer friends uh, moved to San Francisco. I think they were chasing the, the summer of love or something. Mm -hmm. um, I followed them about two years later. And incidentally, digressing here, she went on to become the pioneer female hacker. She is the, oh. the goddess of female hackers. If you search the internet for Jude Milhon, M-I-L-H-O-N, you can read all about her. Hmm. Anyway, I got a job with a small contract programming firm. I did some interesting projects. I think the most interesting thing we did, we wrote an online system for Blue Cross of Northern California. Now this is before CICS, before Kix. Oh. So, you know, we wrote our own tasking, our own terminal management, everything. We were getting sub-second response time on 123 terminals on a 360 
Wow. Now to put that in context, the 360-50, I looked this up for the interview, it's about a 150 KIPS machine, not MIPS, KIPS, 150,000 instructions per second. You know, that's way smaller than an iPhone. So picture an iPhone with 123 terminals wow. on it. Um, you know, People thought this was kind of amazing, but you know, when you write efficient assembler code and write knowing what you're doing, you can do kind of amazing things. Uh, as time went by, the owner, I don't know, the owner of the company uh, got a severe depression or a nervous mm. breakdown or something. He stopped coming into the office. He stopped returning client phone calls. So I was sitting in the office every day by myself doing nothing answering the phone from clients who said, we need you to do X, we need you to do Y. And me saying, well, I can't agree. I can't make contracts. I'm an employee here. Call my boss. And they said, we've called your boss. He doesn't return phone calls hmm. and so forth. So I got frustrated, of course, with that. And I quit. And I said, what do I have to lose? I quit. I started calling. I'll admit it. It was his customers calling back and saying, I'm free. I'm on my own. I can do your project. And so that's how I got going in the contract programming business. Hmm. Um, I did a number of System 370 projects in, for San Francisco Bay Area clients. At some point, it seemed like that mainframe work kind of dried up and I did some other stuff. I, I subcontracted a bunch with a guy named Ralph who had a relationship with DataPoint. Hmm. DataPoint made a small computer, basically a PC is what you'd call it today, a single unit you know, integrated screen, cassette reader, keyboard, mm. uh, computer. It was people who had been fascinated by the Intel 8008 project <laughs> and implemented the 8008 instruction set on a board. I, oh. Intel wasn't getting the, the yields. Intel had essentially invented the computer on a chip but hadn't succeeded in making it. And so it's the 8008 instruction set, but implemented on a board, not with an Intel chip. I mean, one example, another guy there and I wrote a 3270 emulator for DataPoint. DataPoint sold that 3270 emulator as the, the DataPoint 3270 emulator. Mm -hmm. And another uh, quick side note, a woman who worked for Ralph introduced me to my future wife. So I guess it was a successful project. Mm -hmm. I did a whole lot of work on the IBM Series 1. It was a 16-bit mini computer. You know, everybody had a 16-bit mini computer. PDP-11 is the most famous, mm. but Hewlett-Packard, Data General, all those people uh, had 16-bit mini computers. IBM's was way behind its time. They, they released that in 1976. Oh. And the mini computer was kind of an animal of the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And it was the period, I think, of the worst IBM internal sclerosis. You know, I think IBM had probably created the darn thing in 1968 and then spent eight years going, well, does it step on the system 360's mm. toes? Well, does it step on the system three's toes? System three was the predecessor to the AS400, basically. Mm. Uh, who's going to sell it? The data processing division or the general processing, general systems division? By the time they released it, you know, it's almost 1980 with the IBM PC. The mm. era of the 16-bit mini computers pretty much passed. It was never a real successful product. They sold a bunch of them. It was IBM. They mm. sold a bunch of them, but it was never a real successful product. I did a bunch of Series 1 contract work for Lowe's companies, the home center chain. Mm -hmm. um, I am friends to this day with my contact at Lowe's. He's long since retired, of course, 
But uh, I was down in July visiting him, seeing him. That's how, how close we are. I wrote a lot of Series 1 code for an auto parts distributor in the Bay Area. They had eight warehouses scattered across California with a Series 1 in each one. Hmm. I wrote a wide area networking system that let them do system management, all their kind of system programming chores from their central office in the Bay Area for all these machines out there. It worked pretty well. Hmm. Um, at some point, I, I decided this was a product that could be sold. I named it RSS Remote. I think depending on the mood, it was either remote system support or remote series one support. And uh, there was a series one software house in San Francisco. I partnered with them. They were selling it for me. The series one market was a struggle. Uh, they were modestly, modestly successful with it. They sold maybe 20 or so licenses. Uh, one licensee was Montgomery Ward in Chicago. Mm. And that's significant because I got a call then from an IBM salesman in Chicago. And he said, are you the guy who wrote this RSS thing? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, well, I need exactly the same thing for my customer, Carson Perry Scott. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> this is another, another uh, department store chain in Chicago. And uh, to get the scope of the thing, I said, well, how many Series 1s does Carson Perry Scott have? And he said, they don't have any. It's, it's IBM mainframe to PCs attached with an IRMA card. <laughs> IRMA card was mm -hmm. a 3270 emulator on a board that went in the PC. This is, I guess, the salesman's definition of exactly the same thing as my <laughs> award. <laughs> so I went to my partner, the Series 1 company, and I said, I've got us the opportunity to get out of the Series 1 market. I've got someone who wants this product converted to the IBM mainframe and the IBM PC. Those are the two premier data processing platforms. Mm -hmm. We can be out of the Series 1 market and onto something with some vitality to it. And they said, oh, we're a series one house. We have no interest in the mainframe. You go for it. <laughs> well, I did. Uh, it turned out what Carson Perry Scott wanted was not networking at all. What they wanted was push file transfer, mainframe mm. pushing files out to PCs. There were, there were interactive download products around at the time. You think of IND dollar file mm -hmm. or what's properly PC 3270 file transfer. Mm -hmm. I'm going to sit at my PC and download a file from the mainframe and plug it into a spreadsheet. This was the opposite of the, that. This is oh. batch jobs running on the mainframe, pushing files out to PCs, typically mm -hmm. in the middle of the night. Um, you know, it ran over the IRMA card. I knew the 3270 data stream from that, having written that data point emulator. Well, they liked it so much. I named the product Outbound and mm -hmm. I started selling it. And I was pretty darn successful with it. Uh, we sold ultimately about 300 enterprise licenses for that thing. Mm -hmm. uh, by 1998, the company had grown to 17 employees. We were doing well. It was driving me crazy. <laughs> I, I loved coding, Reg. I loved my customers. I loved my employees. I hated managing a company. Mm. So uh, I got an offer, to, somewhat, an unsolicited offer to buy the company from Art Allen at Allen Systems Group, ASG in Naples, Florida. Mm. Um, they're a, a kind of a, a mini CA, a software company roll up. Mm -hmm. So I sold the company to them. Uh, I could have retired. Uh, it was enough money that I would never have had to work again if that's what I wanted. I wasn't fabulously wealthy, uh, you know, no Maseratis for all the girlfriends or anything. <laughs> but, but it turns out I liked working. So I went mm. to work for uh, Art Allen and, and ASG. Art asked me what I wanted to do. He said, 
you know, you want to manage your old company. And I said, Art, if I wound up managing my old company, I wouldn't have sold it to you. We were perfectly <laughs> successful at everything. It was managing it that I didn't like. So I said, ASG, if I'm right, is not really a software company. You're really an acquisition company. Mm. You call yourself a software company, but what your, real, your real business here is acquiring companies. And he said, you're right. And I said, then that's what I want to do. I want to do what ASG does. I want to acquire mm. software companies. I had a great four-year run there. I flew around with Art on a corporate jet, which if you've never done it, is a great way to travel. Mm. And, and mostly did technical due diligence on companies Art wanted to buy. And Art basically wanted to buy every company in the world. Um, <laughs> Art has a good uh, intuitive grasp of technology, but I was very good at explaining it to bankers, which is necessary, mm. and explaining, tech, talking to technologists and explaining what they said to lawyers. Um, and I did a lot of vetting of intellectual property. You know, how did you guys come to write this software and listen very closely to the answer? Mm. And, and believe it or not, we had a couple of problem companies. There was, we had a company we looked at in France where the employees had been working for a guy and he owned the intellectual property, but I guess he was at, uh, very poor at managing the company. So the employees had just picked up the source code and gone across the street to some other company. And, oh. uh, but that doesn't give them the right to resell the code, no. you know, but we straightened that out. I believe we bought the rights from the original guy and hired the employees that, uh, that knew how to sell it. I, I had one where, where I talked to these people, I said, well, this product here, where did that come from? Did you guys write that? And they said, oh, no, no, we were selling it for a guy and paying him royalties. And then he passed away. So we've just kept on selling it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I went to Art Allen on that one and said, Art, you know, it's your company, do what you want. But I get a bad, bad feeling about the mm -hmm. IP at this place. And uh, Art didn't buy it. And I don't know, two, three months later, they were bankrupted buy a patent infringement lawsuit. If, if Art had bought that, he would have ended up buying that patent liability. Mm. So uh, yeah, he acknowledged I'd saved him a couple of million bucks there. But um, all that didn't count for much in 2002 in the tech downturn and I, I got laid off. Over the next um, eight years after ASG, I did a, a couple of things. Probably the most interesting, I wrote a mainframe product for a company called Cloud Compiling. Mm. Uh, it's a virtual COBOL compiler. Mm -hmm. It looks in a technical sense, exactly like an IBM COBOL compiler, same inputs, same outputs, same DD names, same farm equals. But under the covers, what it does is it FTPs the source code to an IBM compiler running on another machine, compiles it there and FTPs the object code back. Mm. It's a pure financial play, uh, cloud compiling, licenses this for exactly 50% of what IBM licenses their COBOL compiler for. Um, so I wrote that. Then in, uh, in 2010, I got a call from a guy I knew very slightly from ASG, a guy named George. And he said, uh, you, you, you know mainframe assembler, right? <laughs> and I said, George, I dream in mainframe assembler. Well, it turns out he had a company named Coralog. Uh, is in Naples, Florida. He had five or six people working for him. They were all ASG veterans. And they sold SIM, S-I-E-M, Security mm -hmm. Information and Event Management. It's a centralized security console. They'd sold, uh, they were just getting going. They'd sold, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight systems. But they'd, they'd gotten a deal with a systems integrator in Canada 
who had contracted with with Sears Canada, I can use their name, they're not around anymore, Mm. to uh, install the SIM and connect all their devices to this SIM. And they kind of went to Sears and said, okay, ta-da, we're done. All your devices are connected to the SIM. And Sears said, what about our mainframe? And the systems integrator said, you have a mainframe? What's a mainframe? (laughs) So they got to George and said, help us out here. Give us a connector mainframe to SIM. George had hired a contractor to write it. Now, this is tricky code. It runs on the SMF exit in ZOS. Mm. It runs key zero. The code Mm. gets re-entered on multiple processors. You don't have any SVCs available, so you can't do NQs and that kind of thing. It is extremely tricky code. And when you get it wrong, you crash ZOS. And that's what it was doing. It was crashing ZOS four or five times a day. You know, it's not Windows. That's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. So so, um, George said, can you fix this? Oh, and George said, oh, and by the way, the contractor is not returning my phone calls. Well, (laughs) as I kind of figured out later, George has, he's a good guy. I love George. We're still in touch, but. George has kind of a management style management by screaming. Mm. And I think that's why the contractor wasn't returning his phone calls. He was tired of getting yelled at. So could I fix it? I looked at the code. There was a, it was fundamentally flawed, but I could see where mm. the timing window was that was causing it to crash. I, mm. said, I can't fix it, George, but I could make this timing window a whole lot smaller, which is what I did. And that really improved it. I got down to about two or three crashes a week. which is still totally unsatisfactory but it's better Mm -hmm. than four or five a day but george was impressed enough that i was hired to write a replacement product Hmm. um i wrote that it was real successful for coralog we became Hmm. i think the premier sim connector for zos i'm sure we've got a couple of competitors would uh, dispute that but i think it was the premier product for connecting zos to a sim um bmc thought so bmc approached coralog uh, in 2018 and bought all the technology, oh. uh, a condition of the deal, it's written right into the contract, half inch thick contract condition was I had to accept employment. Um, nice company, nice folks, great folks. Good to me. I quickly figured out a big company is just not for me. I read over the contract. I had my lawyer read over the contract. I read over the contract again and my lawyer read over the contract. It said I had to accept employment. It didn't say how long I had to stay. <laughs> so 30 days into this job, I gave him 90 days notice. Now I'll tell you something. Don't ever give anybody 90 days notice. That just gives them permission to have 60 days of denial followed mm. by 30 days of panic. I should have given them 30 days notice. They could have gone straight to the 30 days of panic. I could have saved them two months. <laughs> but anyway, so I left BMC uh, in 2018. Um, we're almost up to the present. I'm uh, I'm sorry, 2019 at that point, but I'm still working uh, with that virtual COBOL compiler company. Uh, I'm doing some education stuff. I, uh, I did a pop, really popular, they did it, they repeated it. It was so popular webinar on certificate technology for, uh, for new era software. Hmm. Um, got a webinar coming up uh, day after tomorrow for them on zero trust and zero trust architecture, which hmm. is kind of the buzzword of the week, the security buzzword of the week. And I'm working with a couple of partners on a, a new product. It's a little bit premature to talk about it too much, but we can say it's in the mainframe space, it's in the mainframe security space, and it's in the mobile to mainframe space. And that's all I can say. And that's about it, Reg. We're up to uh, Monday, October 11th. So I'm going to guess 
that if somebody wants to find out about your new product when it goes GA, that one of the places they might find out is one of the places you're most active, which is the IBM main email list. Are you planning to let them know when this product, whatever it does, is GA? Absolutely, Reg. I will let anybody know who wants to listen. Uh, okay, cool. I'm kind of the technology guy, not the marketing guy in the group, but I would expect we will use every avenue available. Okay, great. Well, you know, this has been absolutely excellent, Charles. And, and I know you've, you've done a very abbreviated summary of all that you've done for us just to keep it within usable amount of time. But I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit longer because I really want to hear what does the future of the mainframe and the mainframe ecosystem look like from your perspective, if you have anything to say about it? Oh, man. Uh, Reg, it's tough to forecast the future. Something sure. I learned a long time ago, it's very tough to forecast the future. If you said to me, what are mainframes going to look like in 20 years? And I tried to tell you, if I'm right, they're going to look like that in three years. Mm. And if I'm wrong, they're never going to look like that. It is very hard to do forecasting. But, but I'm excited. You know, I'm, 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 I'm looking, I'm eager to see what does come down the road. You know, I'm, I'm just as crazy about coding now as when I wrote that first Fortran program. And I'm, I'm looking forward to what IBM seems to be going in, in two directions with the mainframe, and both of them are good. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about the rumored uh, ZPDT learner, mm -hmm. uh, Learner's Edition. Mm -hmm. The mainframe so needs an economical entry point. You know, you can learn generic Unix for free. Mm -hmm. You can learn Windows almost for free. Mm -hmm. You want to learn System Z? It is somewhere between difficult and expensive, you know? Mm -hmm. Guess what people are doing? They're, they're, learning, they're learning Unix. Uh, and guess what? We have a critical staffing shortage on Z. So I think I think this is absolutely the right direction. On the other hand, I'm excited by the, the Telem chip, you know, the, the new chip architecture. It looks like the biggest uh, enhancement or, or whatever to the systems, to the Z architecture. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what that's like. I've gone to a disclosure on that uh, a week from today, Reg. So I'll, I'll know a little more, but I won't be able to tell you. <laughs> yeah, don't want you to shoot me. <laughs> Okay, well, well, Charles, this has been absolutely outstanding. And uh, uh, obviously, uh, you are a person who has just an amazing amount to share. So if people want to reach out to you and, and chat about any of this or anything else further and just kind of pick your brains or, or even if they have an idea for something they think you'd like to do, how do they reach you? You know, Reg, I've never been sorry giving out my email address. I put it on, uh, on uh, presentations and stuff and no one's ever abused it. I hope this won't be the first, but, you know, you can reach me by email. Uh, Charles M, like Charles Mills, Charles M, all one word, at mcnmarycharlesnancy.org. Cool. Well, you heard it here first. And uh, so, Charles, with, with that, uh, I guess uh, I'll just uh, mention that I'll be back with another podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to their weekly newsletters, webinars, ebooks, solutions directory, and more on the subscription page. I'm Rich Harbeck. 